Wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Everyone is entitled to their best retirement possible. Welcome to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan, your path to a bigger, bolder retirement. Brought to you by Caden Wealth Management, a firm that specializes in serving the mobility technology industry. In this podcast, we help you maximize your resources and engineer your best retirement through a process-driven approach so you can get the little things right. Drawing from years of expertise, Jim and his guests will simplify complex wealth management strategies and explore actionable ideas to help you protect your hard-earned wealth and take control of your future. Now, on to the show. Did you know there are significant birthdays between the ages of 50 and 72 that can impact your retirement finances, some of which I'll bet you might not even be aware of? Well, I'm Patrice Sikora, and today we're going to take a peek at seven legislative birthdays that every retiree or soon-to-be retiree should circle on their calendars. Ah, Jim Cruzan is with me from a secret remote location. You're on the road, Jim. This is fantastic. Look at you. A, a tech I am. This geek. is our first remote. This is exciting. <laughs> this is a tech geek that you are. <laughs> right. That'll be our secret. <laughs> All right. Well, Jim, I hate to say this, but it's no more just happy birthday. Birthdays aren't just all about blowing out candles and getting some of those nifty little gifts. Well, yeah, in a way it is. And these legislative birthdays come with gifts as well. In fact, they're they're very cool gifts for a guy who is in the financial service business. These birthdays come with bearing gifts. The gifts are, 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 are really twofold. Uh, in some cases, it's the gift of being able to add additional money on a deferred basis to your retirement accounts, which pays huge dividends and provides even greater opportunities down the road. And in other cases, the gift is the ability to perhaps access some of this retirement money at an earlier age without the burdensome 10% penalty. So when you think about that, those are pretty cool gifts. Yeah, I was kind of thinking of something with a bow on it, though. <laughs> All right, but so let's uh, let's get into this. Tell me the these birthdays. Uh, what's the first one we're looking at? So the first one we're going to look at is age fifty, and there are several things that happen at age fifty. The first and probably the most important is at age fifty, you're allowed to do what's called a catch-up provision. You're allowed to add additional monies to your retirement accounts. Uh, because now you're kind of mid-career and and the idea of retirement is 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 a little bit closer. So the government says, well, you know what? You can add more money on a, a, a tax advantage basis. Uh, and it covers literally all the traditional defined contribution plans. So when we consider things like 401k, 403b, 457, we have the ability currently to put $22,500 a year away on a pre-tax basis. But if you're over age 50, you can put an additional $7,500 for a total of $30,000 a year. That's a significant increase in savings opportunity. Um, if you're funding things like simple 401ks or a simple IRA, um, you're allowed to put $15,500 a year away on a pre-tax basis. Is that now? Per Is that per person? That, that's per person. Whoa. Yes. So, so imagine what that looks like at a household level. So if you're participating in a simple 401k or IRA, 
you can put 15,005 away regularly. But now if you've achieved that important age 50 birthday, you can put an additional $3,500 away for a total of 19,000. And then last but not least is IRA and Roth IRA. Uh, right now, if you qualify, uh, you can fund up to $6,500. But if you're lucky enough to have that 50th birthday, you can put an extra $1,000 away, bringing the total to $6,500 a year. So this, over time, assuming somebody works another 10 or more years, uh, can add up to a significant a significant nest egg, a much larger nest egg than what they might have had previously. So that's one of the first gifts uh, you'll see at age 50. The other gift doesn't apply to everyone, but it certainly applies to folks who who kind of do God's work. And what I mean by that is there are those who are considered qualified public safety workers. Think of that as the police, fire uh, personnel, those that are involved in um, emergency medical services, Mm -hmm. EMTs and such. If they are participating through work in a qualified 401k and they are considered a qualified public safety worker, they have the ability to actually retire and pull money from that 401k as early as age 50 without that same 10% penalty. So age 50 for folks who are putting their life on the line is a really important age. It gives them access to a large amount of their retirement monies, again, penalty free. So age 50 is a really important birthday. I'll I'll blow out a candle for that one. It sure does sound like it. All right, so from 50, we jump to 55. Correct. And, and 55 is, is also, uh, bears gifts and, and it, it bears two gifts. Uh, the first gift is what is referred to as a penalty free withdrawal. And this is something that's been around for many years now, but in application, we don't see it being used right. as often as it should. And, and what this is all about is, uh, and we'll talk about this in a, in a moment. Everybody knows, and we'll cover it briefly, the 59 and a half rule. Exactly. That's kind of a half birthday. That's the first date typically that you can pull money out of your qualified retirement accounts, IRAs and such without that 10% penalty. But the 55 rule is uh, a little unique and it also provides huge planning opportunities. And basically it says, look, If you're age 55 or older or will be age 55 in the year you separate service from your employer, so think of somebody who's planning on retiring a bit early, Mm -hmm. you can leave some money in the 401k. And if you take distributions directly from that 401k, you can avoid the 10% penalty. But how is that different from 59 and a half? it gives one the ability to access that at 55. So you can pull the money out penalty free at age 55. Otherwise, if you roll that money into a IRA, even though you are now over age 55 and pulled money from the IRA, uh, you'd be subject to a 10% penalty. Right. But right. if you retire 
and leave a portion of the money within the 401k and access the money from the 401k to drive spending and cash flow, you can avoid that. Otherwise, the workaround, which a lot of people use, is a bit more cumbersome. And that is if you rolled, if you're assuming age 55 and would qualify for this, and if you rolled all of your monies into an IRA and then realized you needed some of this money for some purpose or to fund cash flow, the only way you can pull that money out and avoid that same 10% penalty is by doing something called a 72T calculation. I, I don't want to sound all that wonky here, but it's it's essentially it's an annuitization and it becomes a fixed payment. And once you start the fixed payment, it's got to continue for a period of time of at least 60 months, five years, right. or until you're 59 and a half, whichever comes later. So imagine somebody who rolled everything over, was 55 or less, decided they needed money from the IRA for a short period of time. Uh, they may very well be burdened to take this money out, expose more of it than they wanted to to taxes for a much longer period of time. So uh, avoiding all that clutter in terms of planning is just simply leaving a portion uh, portion of the monies you know, within the 401k. So in, in our firm, that's exactly what we do. If we have a client who's retiring mid to late 50s, whether they need the money or not, uh, we will probably look at rolling some of the money into an IRA to provide greater diversity or other opportunities but we will more than likely leave some of that money in the 401k as just a, a an emergency source. If we needed to get money before they turn 59 and a half, we could access that easily penalty free. And then when somebody is over age 59 and a half and that 10% penalty no longer exists, uh, you can easily then merge the two accounts together in perhaps an IRA. Is there so that's in it. I'm sorry, is there a limit to what you can take out? No, there's no limit. It's penalty-free. It's still taxable. So you would probably want to consider what the distribution would mean in terms of taxable income and how that would play into your other planning and distributions. And this 55 rule, unlike the 50 rule, the catch-up provision, which applies to all sorts of deferred retirement accounts, the 55 rule only applies to 401ks and 403bs. I must admit, I have not heard of that before. See, you learned something from listening. I did. I did. Happy birthday. The retirement right? engineer. Yes. <laughs> <That's> exactly. <laughs> hey, but that but this 55 rule isn't the only gift at age 55. The other gift again, looking at it from a savings perspective, is at 55, you qualify for a catch-up provision with an HSA. Now, those are very important accounts. They're absolutely important. Currently, an individual can put up to $3,850. A family can put up to $7,750. But if the participant is now age 55 or older, 
they can put an additional $1,000 a year away. Uh, so it's another way of enhancing the net worth, enhancing your retirement nest egg by putting additional monies away when you hit these milestones. So that's important. So with 55, we have the 55 rule, which is a way of getting access to some of these retirement funds without the 10% penalty. And then we also have the ability at age 55 to put on a tax advantage basis, a true home run. It's a, it's a triple. It's tax-free going in or tax deductible going in, tax deferred while it accumulates, tax-free while it's coming out for medical purposes. So uh, being able to add to monies at age 55 to your HSA is, is very important. It is. The HSA, I think we've discussed it before, and I know we've discussed it before, is such a flexible instrument to use. It is. We look at the HSA as a deferred savings tool <laughs> as opposed to just an easy conduit to make medical payments. If you think about it, if you're fully employed, to a large degree, you've got the most cash flow you'll have, you probably have the easiest time you'll ever have to cover medical expenses and those kinds of things. Down the road, uh, when you're retired, and we'll talk about this in a little bit, uh, when all the spigots are open, the social security required minimum distributions, you may find yourself in a little bit higher tax bracket than you thought you would be in. Using some of that HSA at that point when you're in your 70s, when there's probably a greater chance you'll have medical expenses, to be able to access that on a completely tax-free basis is hugely impactful. Yeah. All right. So we've done 50, 55, and you keep mentioning 59 and a half. Tell me about yeah, that. I yeah, I kind of stole the thunder on that already. <laughs> 59 and a half is important because it's a, it's a time where if you reach that age and have been funding uh, retirement assets, presumably for retirement, and let's assume this individual who's 59 and a half is now retired, uh, they would have the ability to access those accounts without a 10% penalty. Anybody else who is not quite yet 59 and a half who uh, would decide to pull monies out of a retirement account, think of a 401k as an example, uh, would be subject to a 10% penalty unless they were over 55 and understood the 55 rule. So it's important because the idea about retirement planning, uh, amongst other goals, is to make sure that we're not running out of money and allow the money to last as long as possible. Well, one of the easiest ways to deplete money quickly is slap on a 10% penalty where now you're distributing, paying taxes on 10% more than you really need to. It becomes uh, quite, uh, quite burdensome. The other advantage to the 59 and a half rule is that at that point, there are many 401ks that will allow a participant who is now uh, beyond the age of 59 and a half to transfer some or all of their 401k balance to, let's say, an IRA. It would allow them to continue to fund 401k, continue to participate in the 401k account, but now for diversity reasons, 
or maybe access to after-tax money or Roth money that might be within the 401k, they certainly would have greater access to providing more investment opportunities, perhaps, uh, than what would be available in most 401ks who typically have a fairly limited uh, investment menu. This may sound like a silly question, but do you have to actually be 59 and a half? I mean, can you do it around that or do you have to actually hit that half mark? It, it, you have to hit the the right. half mark. You, you got to be exactly to the day 59 and a half or older, not close to it. <laughs> <laughs> Almost. Yeah. All right. All right. 62. I think most people know this age and Social Security. Yeah. So as we've discussed before in, in a different episode, Social Security is a uh, a major source of retirement for, for most individuals. And uh, a lot of folks, we're, we're beginning to see a trend uh, change a bit. Uh, back several dozen years ago, there was a, a big push for 30 and out. People would uh, hire in, retire out in their mid to late 50s. And, and, and certainly well before 62, that wasn't quite the case early on, uh, earlier this century. Uh, but at that point, people were just chomping at the bit uh, to turn 62 and then tap into uh, Social Security. Um, we think of Social Security a bit differently. Uh, we think of Social Security as a, uh, a vastly important hedge on longevity. The longer you live, the more important Social Security becomes. So we prefer to defer taking Social Security uh uh, past the age of 62. Uh, but if you really need it, you can certainly take it at that age. Now, understand that uh, Social Security is based on what is referred to as the full retirement age. So for many, it's age 67 or less, being 66 or anything in between. And there's a fairly significant discount to take Social Security early. Uh, and the discount's a little wonky, so bear with me. If you're taking your Social Security three years early, so let's say that your full retirement age is age 67, and you decide to take it at age 64, the penalty is five-ninths of a percent for every single month you take it early. So for five every month. for every month. So mm-hmm. five ninths of a percent times thirty-six months. If you're taking it earlier still, think of somebody who's taking it at sixty-two instead of sixty-seven. Beyond the first thirty-six months, the penalty becomes five twelfths of a percent for any month thereafter. So if you I've done the math and, and the math. <laughs> You don't. You can put the pencil and calculator away. Uh, effectively, the math looks like this: If your full retirement age was age sixty-seven, and you elect to take your benefit at age sixty-two, the benefit you're getting comes with it a thirty percent haircut. That's ridiculous. You're leaving a tremendous amount of money on the on the table. Yeah. 
and uh and it's not only the 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 money the the monthly benefit but the bigger the monthly benefit the more that the cost of living adjustment every single year thereafter applies to it so think of not only the benefit itself but all the future cash flow that you'd have above and beyond it just simply because you're you're going to live 20 30 years or more in retirement and every year you should get a little bit of a cost of living adjustment it's it's huge what is the benefit to waiting until age 70 yeah taking the benefit at age 70 essentially the the benefit maxes out uh, and what i mean by that is if you elected not to take your benefit at 70 and delayed it even further there's no additional increase in the benefit you would receive so at that point you're just losing some cash flow opportunities which absolutely doesn't make sense so taking it at 70 kind of maxes the contract out and by maxing the contract out you're getting beyond the full retirement age let's use age 67 as an example you're getting about an eight percent per year bump in the benefit so again over several years that eight percent a year plus cost of living on top of it becomes a significant increase in the benefit for every year you elect to delay and if we sort of reversed engineered this a bit and tried to figure out well what kind of return would we actually have to earn to make up that difference to you know take social security at a smaller benefit and invest the difference you would find that return would be quite substantial and probably with most clients moderate risk tolerances kind of beyond the scope of what could be achieved without taking undue risk um, was- the difference between taking a benefit at 62 and taking the benefit at 70 is even greater still i looked on the social security uh, website and if you're 62 today the max social security benefit you would receive if you fully paid in 35 years and all you paid in at the top end of the range and so on and so forth and elect to take your benefit at 62 that benefit would be two thousand five hundred and seventy two dollars that's sizable that's thirty thousand dollars or more a year if however you were 70 today the max benefit today for somebody taking their benefit uh, at age 70 assuming they paid in for 35 years and maxed the thing out etc would be four thousand five hundred and fifty five dollars that's a hundred and seventy seven percent increase comparing a 62 benefit today and a max 70 benefit today that is substantial that's the difference between thirty thousand a year from guaranteed source and fifty four thousand plus a year from guaranteed source and imagine if that's 2x because you have a spouse who's doing the exact same thing that's a substantial amount of benefit from a guaranteed source that has a cost of living adjustment and you reviewed all of this in episode 14 of this podcast series did social security there from top to bottom including five social security filing mistakes that you really should avoid so 
I encourage everyone to listen to episode 14, because Social Security is, as you were saying, such a significant part of retirement income. All right, 62, and now we're just chugging on along, more candles showing up on the cake. It's age 65, and we know what happens at 65. Yes, uh, at age 65, you qualify for Medicare. And uh, as we know, Medicare is the uh, government's answer to post-retirement health care. And it's something that just about everybody participates in, in one shape uh, or another. However, there are penalties uh, if you don't file at a, on a timely basis. So a timely basis is this range of months in and around the birth month you turn age 65. You have the ability to file three months up to three months before the month you turn age 65 and three months after. And uh, because there's such a tight window, there are many folks who kind of get this thing tripped up mm. and uh, subject themselves to penalty. Um, additionally, it becomes a little bit more complicated if you're planning on working uh, beyond age 65, because uh, the question is, does your uh, current medical provider allow you to stay on their plan? Uh, is that plan integrated with Social Security? Even though you're getting Blue Cross from your employer, do you still have to file? So my suggestion to everyone is prior to turning 65 within that three-month threshold, have a conversation with Medicare. Make sure that you are covered and have filed properly and make sure that if you are trying to integrate this with some work-related health care, make sure you qualify and you're still considered a timely file. All right, Jim, you mentioned penalties. What are we talking about if, if they miss the window? Yeah, there there are quite a few. There are quite a few penalties. Uh, there are penalties if you misfile Part A. There are penalties if you misfile Part B. There right. are penalties if you misfile Part D. What I would suggest everybody does is listen to episode sixteen. We go through a tremendous amount of information, and we spend an awful lot of time on these very unique penalties. All right. Leave it to the government, right? Penalties all over. The Absolutely. Place. Don't let them trip you up. Listen to episode 14 for Social Security and 16 for Medicare. And now as we're moving up to age 70, we kind of touched on this, but tell me about, you know, maxing out Social Security benefits. Right. So age 70 is that age upon which all of the, not only the penalties that you have by filing early and all the additional deferred credits you get for filing beyond full retirement age kind of max out. And that's the largest benefit you'll get uh, for Social Security. And at that point, whether you're working or not, whether um, you could defer further, there's absolutely no reason to because any month deferred beyond is just a month of lost revenue. You're not enhancing that benefit at all. Um, because of that, when you start considering retirement cash flow and start planning out resources, it's really important to consider 
whether we have the resources uh, available or what we need to do to get to a point where we have the resources available to consider deferring out Social Security uh, and deferring it out to age 70. If you think about it, if and there, there's a variety of reasons to wait to at least full retirement age, which is 67 for most. There's only another three years until age 70. But the benefit improvement can be as much as an additional 24%, 8% a year. And actually, the benefit would be compounded. So it's even greater than that. But if you consider that, then what that means to the rest of your retirement all those years you'll have beyond age 70, it seems like a pretty fair trade-off. That is to say, deferring an extra three years to get what could be maybe another 20 years or more of ever greater income and ever greater cost of living protection. Hmm. Seems to make some sense. It does. It does. And then there comes a time when you've been putting all this money in and the government says, oh, no, no, no. Now you must take some of it out. And that is age 72. Also kind of referred to as the time to pay the piper. The government, <laughs> the government said, hey, you know, you went to work at age 18 and you participated in this 401k. And we've been waiting decades we've and been decades waiting. and decades to get our, our fingers on some of this money. So time's up. Now, th th this is important, especially if you have not uh, accessed any of your funds, either at age 50 or at age 55 or at 59 and a half, as we spoke before. Uh, but this age has been kind of floating out there and it's changed over time. In fact, uh, for many, many years, uh, it was 70 and a half. Uh, that was the age uh, that you would have to start taking required minimum distributions. And then in... Uh, in 2019, the SECURE Act was passed, and the required minimum distribution age got pushed out from 70 and a half to 72. And uh, that's how it was kind of during that early phase of COVID. And then we had a SECURE Act Part 2.0. <laughs> And what and that came about in 2022. And what that did is that actually pushed the RMD date from age 72 to now age 73. So effectively, anybody out there who has a birth who was born between January 1st, 1951 and December 31st, 1959, will now have age 73 as their required minimum distribution. And then it gets even better. Anybody who has a birth date of January 1st, 1960 or beyond, they can push the required minimum distribution date or age out to age 75. So that's what it looks like for some of us out there listening to this broadcast. Uh, they may have started their RMD at 70 and a half. And once you start it, you continue it. Others you started it. it. Say, I'm going to wait. A no, 
No, there was a deferred, there was a deferral year during the, that first COVID year. Right. And, and, and then, uh, we have a group that are, are taking it at 72. There'll be those who might push it out till 73 wow. and uh, others still who might still be quite a ways away from retirement will be able to defer to age 75. Now, a couple of important things. Uh, the longer you defer, the better from the standpoint that, uh, the money can then grow and continue to grow unencumbered. But again, this is the government and the rules and regs are often not quite as straightforward as we'd like them to be. So whatever age it is that you have to take the required minimum distributions, uh, the government has different rules depending on whether it's your first required minimum distribution or not. And the rule is, if this is your first required minimum distribution, you can actually defer further still until April 1st, the year following the year you turn 72 or 73 or whatever the age is. Now, the problem with that, though, is if you do wait and defer that first RMD into the new year that year you're also still required to make the second required minimum distribution no later than december 31st of that year so you would be then stuck taking two full required minimum distributions out and from a tax perspective that might be quite a bit of tax burden that year, squeezing all that taxable income in into a uh, a single year. Another point on achieving the age of required minimum distribution: when we start counseling clients regarding cash flow and building a cash flow model to provide the resources they need to build these bigger, bolder retirements we need to look into the future and we need to look in and around that age of required minimum distribution because at the time you achieve that age and are now required to make that distribution effectively if you think about it all the spigots are opened you're now also receiving social security if you ha- uh, mm-hmm. if you def- if you deferred it you are now absolutely receiving it And it's important to kind of look at what the tax situation will look like or what we project that tax situation to look like when you are of required minimum distribution age. Because for many who are now retired, there may be some flexibility in terms of managing their tax bracket. And if they're in a much lower bracket today than they'll be when all those spigots are turned on, we might have the ability to do Roth conversions, use some of the retirement dollars in a year where you're in a lower bracket so that there won't be quite the same burden at 72 or 73 because Mm -hmm. some of that balance has been worked off and pushed into years when you're in a much, much lower tax bracket. So there's a lot of planning that really needs to go into this. There's a lot of planning around every single one of these dates. And the the best advice is don't just let the date creep up on you. Plan ahead, understand what it is, talk to your advisor, 
and figure out what exactly makes the most sense. Is it something we're going to utilize? How do we plan to make sure it's uh, it's as effective and efficient as possible? Right. We have just covered the landmark birthdays that influence our retirement finances, beginning with the opportunity for catch-up contributions at 50 to initiating required minimum distributions in your 70s and all the significant moments in between. Recognizing and preparing for these milestones is essential in crafting a sound retirement strategy. So for a more comprehensive look at Social Security and Medicare, as we mentioned, revisit our earlier episodes, 14 and 16, and they will also be linked in the podcast summary here. Please be sure to subscribe to the Retirement Engineer podcast so you don't miss future episodes and follow at Caden Wealth on social. Let us know what you think in the comments. And yes, please share topics you'd like us to discuss in future episodes. Following and sharing this podcast helps our small show make a larger impact. Thank you for listening to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.cadenwealth.com or give us a call at 800 800- 638-6900. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of Jim Cruzan and this episode's guests, not necessarily those of Caden Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.